I want to begin this morning by welcoming our kids into our worship space today. We are so glad that you are here and that you have chosen to join us this morning. Uh, please make sure if you've got one, pull out your bingo card now. You can listen for the words throughout the sermon uh, that are on that card. Circle them. And if you get a bingo, make sure you find Sue or Sherry after the worship service and they have a prize for you. I also want to welcome you if you're here for the first time or maybe you're watching online and it's Christmas time and you thought, you know, I'm not sure I know who Jesus is. I'm not sure I even care, but this seems like the time of year uh, to begin exploring. And maybe you're coming with a skeptic's heart. You're coming frustrated. And I think that's true, not just of those of you who are here for the first time, but maybe for those of us who have been, a while, been here for a while. I think following Jesus gets a little tricky at Christmas. You know, because we've been through a year where God hasn't really answered our prayers. God hasn't really been true to what we had expected. Maybe you feel like God's broken his promises. And you're wondering, God, are you ever going to speak? So maybe you walk in today in a little bit of isolation, sad or angry, disappointed. Maybe a little fearful of what this season's going to bring. And then when you put the cultural expectations of the holiday on top of that, Christmas gets really hard. So we come in wondering, am I ever going to catch a break? God, you've been silent for an awful long time. I'm just waiting, God, for you to speak, for you to say something, for you to touch me, for you to answer my prayer. God, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and there's no answer. Why are you silent? And now it's Advent. That time of year when Jesus shows up. You know, baby Jesus. Six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. Everybody's favorite. But that Jesus has led to a lot of disappointment. So if that's you this morning, I want to say I'm so glad you're here because I think the truth of Luke's gospel has some answers for you. And I think you're going to find some comfort in the words of scripture and in the words of Zechariah as we dig into what he has to say this morning. Now, before we get too far down, though, I do have a brief confession to make. I don't know how many of you feel this way, but I am not a huge fan of Christmas music. It's just not my favorite style of music. I know that's probably like puts me in a small category of people and lots of you are silently judging me right now and that's okay because God forgives you. <laughs> How many of you have not turned Christmas music off in your house or your car since Friday? You've created different playlists already of the new Christmas songs that are out this year that you want to listen to or old favorites redone by new artists and you've got them categorized by genre and you're just going to keep playing those playlists over and over and over again until Christmas comes. Well, as we jump into this Advent series, we're going to take a look at four songs that you will find in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke's gospel, in those first two chapters, we get the Christmas story, or at least most of the major pieces of the Christmas story as we know it. And those four songs are sung by Mary, 
by Simeon, by a group of angels, and by Zechariah. And so today as we dive in, we're going to take a look at Zechariah's song. Now, Zechariah is a more minor character in the Christmas story, and so maybe you're wondering, who is Zechariah, and why are we studying this song that he wrote? And I think anytime you look at a song, it's always good to start and look at the artist who wrote the song, and to kind of look at the backstory of what was happening in that artist's life as they composed this song. And so for Zechariah, Zechariah understands what it means to wait. He understands what it means to want God to speak out of the silence, but God to not speak. You see, it's in that silence that God reveals himself to Zechariah. And I think that will be true for us too. God reveals himself to us when we are quiet enough to listen. God reveals himself to us when we are quiet enough to listen. Now, Zechariah is a priest. He is a Jew in the first century. He's working in the temple. He's married to Elizabeth. Now, who he's married to matters because Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And if you're not familiar with the Bible story, Mary, yeah, that's the Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the one that's really important. Elizabeth is her cousin. And as Zechariah goes into the temple this day, and it would have been the Israelite temple, uh, which was divided in different sections. And he's going in, his job this day is to go in and light the altar of incense. Now, he would have walked behind a curtain where the general public was not allowed to go. But he's not really in the Holy of Holies yet. He's just outside of it, but nobody's in there. And he's going in to essentially light an altar that's going to burn incense to make the temple fragrant as people come in to worship. So this should take about five seconds. When you walk in, you click the bick, you hold it over the incense, it lights, everything smells good. It's great. But today when Zechariah goes into the temple, he's in there a little bit longer because an angel shows up and speaks to Zechariah. Now, you probably know what the angel says because I think every, almost every time an angel speaks in Scripture, they say the exact same thing. Don't be afraid. Angels in the Bible are not like the little, little fat babies that sit on clouds and play harps. I don't think anybody's really afraid of that. But Zechariah, this angel speaks to Zechariah and says, don't be afraid. I think these angels are massive warriors that has come and he's brought a message to Zechariah. And the message is, you're going to have a kid. And I want you to name him John. And he is going to speak and teach and lead his people with the power of Elijah. Now for us in the modern church, we might say, oh, Elijah, okay, great. Seems like a nice guy. But for Zechariah, this was a big, big deal. Because Elijah to a first century Israelite was one of the big three. The three who had founded, who God had spoken and shown up to and made massive promises to. First to Abraham, as he made a covenant, and we'll get back to that in just a minute. 
but then to Moses who would lead his people out of Egypt and out of slavery, and then through the prophet Elijah, one who stood against 800 other prophets, one who saw God face to face. Zechariah, your child will be a child who leads with the same power and the same spirit as Elijah. That's an incredible honor. And he will prepare the way for the Messiah. Before we go too far, let me explain what all this means. Here's Zechariah, an old man who's never been able to have kids. His wife Elizabeth has been barren the whole time that they've been together. They've never been able to have kids. They've probably prayed, and the scripture story in Luke 1 hints that he's prayed for a child. Never had a child. As a first century Jew, he would have been waiting for the Messiah, the one the prophets had told about of old, who would come and set the Israelites free who would overthrow the governments that they, they were enslaved by or pressed down by or oppressed by. And this angel comes and says, Zechariah, your waiting is over. Your wife is going to have a child. And in that child's lifetime, the Messiah the prophesied one, the one who you've been waiting for will arrive. You see, Zechariah knows what it means to wait because prior to this angel, we have no record that God spoke for almost 400 years to anyone or through any prophets in the history of Israel. So for 400 years, God has been silent. And now to Zechariah, God speaks. And maybe like you and me, Zechariah's response is, how can this be true? I'm old. My wife is old. Her womb is barren. And the angel says, since you don't believe, you will be mute until the child is born. And Zechariah can't speak. Silence. Zechariah, who's now been in this private area of the temple for much longer than it should take to light the altar of incense, finally walks out and all the people are like, oh, you're still alive. Okay, great, you're still here. That's good. Why did it take you so long? And he opens his mouth and nothing comes out. He motions to them and kind of tries to explain what had happened. He goes home and tells Elizabeth or shows Elizabeth what had happened. Maybe he grabs a tablet and scratches out what happened on that tablet so she can see. And soon Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And as you can imagine, When babies are born, we've all just spent a couple days with our family over Thanksgiving. Sometime when family gathers together, we have different expectations of what's going to happen. And so John is born 
And the family gets together on the eighth day, as is their custom, to give him the name. And all the aunts and uncles are like, oh, we're going to name him Zechariah Jr. And Elizabeth says, no, we're going to name him John. John? Why would you name him John? Nobody in our family's named John. He's got to be named Zechariah after his dad. And there's this squabble about what they're going to be named. And Zechariah, who can't speak, who has sat for nine long months in silence. Who has sat his entire lifetime waiting to hear the scream of that child. Waiting to hear that baby cry. Waiting for a Messiah to come and set his people free. Gets out his phone and types on there, the baby's name will be John. Just like the angel said. And in that moment, Zechariah's voice comes back to him. And Zechariah can speak. And it's out of the silence of nine long months that Zechariah writes this song. So if you can imagine, if you're here today and you're tired of God's silence, you're tired of waiting for God to show up. Listen to the words of Zechariah. Listen to the promises of Scripture that Zechariah speaks for us today. Found in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 69. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Zechariah's song starts and the entire first verse is about a God who came to visit. A God who came to visit. Much like many of us who have traveled here to visit with family, to be in the living room, to sit around the table, to have dinner, to drink coffee together, to share stories. God came to visit. This is what I believe makes the Christmas story so unique. We don't worship a God who sits from far off. We don't worship a God who stretches out his hand and keeps us at a distance. We worship a God who comes and welcomes us in. Who wants to be face to face with us. Who wants us to cry out to him. Who wants us to cry out in anger and frustration to him. But a God who comes close a God who wants to intimately know you and who does intimately know you. It's a God who visits. And this God who visits is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to do what he's promised. Zechariah says, you made a covenant with Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham out and says, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you wherever you go. I will bless those who bless you. 
Your kids will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. I will always be with you. And in Zechariah's promise of the promise of the Messiah come to live, of the promise of a son to Zechariah, God has kept his promise. Not only his promise to Abraham, but his promise to David that there would always be a king from David's line who would sit on his throne. Mary, Elizabeth's cousin, is from David's line. God has been faithful to his promise. Even though he's been quiet, even though he hasn't spoken, God has been faithfully working. And so as we sit in those times of silence and we wonder, God, how much longer? As followers of Christ, we have to choose to believe in faith that God is working behind the scenes. God is doing what only God can do in our lives. God is doing only what God can do as we keep walking. And this is the God who came to redeem and to rescue. The God who came to visit so that we could be set free. For Zechariah, that meant set free from the Romans, set free from the government, set free from those who had attacked his people and had hurt and oppressed his people. And for us today, that means we've been set free from the power of sin. We've been set free from the fear of death. We've been set free because the Messiah has come. Baby Jesus has come in the manger, but baby Jesus is going to grow up. And he's going to go and pay the price. You see, redemption is a term that means he's paying our ransom. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 9. So Christ has now become the high priest of all the good things that have come. He's entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. You and I have been redeemed Our sin has been paid for. All the things that we've done that are against God, that have have been lashes out at God and who he is, Jesus has paid for. Not the way the Old Testament priests would have done it by killing a goat or a bull or a calf, but by stretching out his arms on a cross, spilling his own blood. The Messiah who's long awaited, the baby who comes at Christmas, becomes our redeemer on the cross, becomes the one who provides freedom, the one who comes and meets us, who visits with us, who knows us. The second verse of Zechariah's song speaks out now about our responsibility as followers of Christ. Not in our own strength, not to earn anything from God. 
But because the Messiah has come, because God has visited, because our redemption has been secured, now we are called to go out and to minister. And listen to the words of Zechariah, verse 77. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us and give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. You see, once we understand that the one we've waited for, the Messiah has come, that God speaks out of silence and God works in that silence. We're called to go and proclaim that truth to those around us. We're called and given a responsibility to go and tell people about this Jesus, about the one who loves them no matter what, about the one who died for their sins, about the one who doesn't care what they've done because he's paid for all of that. If they'll only just believe. You see, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of hope. That's the good news that Jesus says he came to proclaim. Jesus says this about his ministry in Luke chapter four. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that captives will be sent free, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. As followers of Christ, As people who call ourselves Christians, that's our calling to go and proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ for all people. That the oppressed will be set free. We're called to go and declare justice and to work for justice. We're called to go and set people free from captivity, people who are locked in sin and bondage and pain and hurt, to walk alongside them. Say, there's a God who has better plans for you. There's a God who wants more for your life than what you have right here. And I want to walk with you through all of this. You see, Zechariah says, this Messiah who's come will bring light to dark places. I don't know how many of you have ever had an opportunity to be in a cave before. But when I was in uh, St. Louis, I had a good friend, his name was Ed, and he would take us caving all the time. And not into like caves where you flip on the light switch and you walk on a paved path or down a, a concrete staircase and you look at all the formations and the little guide points her flashlight over there and says, see this? And then they walk out of the room and somebody hits the, hits the light and it's dark again. These were like real caves. Like no lights, no stairs, walking through water up to here, it, crawling on your hands and knees to get through little crevices. And once you got in and you got past the entrance of the cave, you could turn your flashlight off. And it is pitch black. There's no light. It's impossible to see. But your mind and your eyes begin to lie to you in this time. You could close your eye. You could sit in that dark place. Here you'd have to close your eyes and you could hold your hand up to your face. This close. And your mind would tell you you could see your hand. 
Your eyes would lie to you and say the form of your hand is there because your mind had remembered it. But you could not see your hand. You would think you'd see flashes of light as your eyes would be searching for things, but there was no light. It was total darkness. Your eyes lie to you in the darkness of the cave. Much like our eyes lie to us when we look in a mirror. I don't know what you think about when you look in a mirror, but I know what I think about every time that YouTube video starts playing and they've caught me in some weird hand gesture. I can see every flaw, every extra pound, every wrinkle, every gray hair in my beard. And I tell lies to myself about what I see. And my guess is, in some way, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. When Jesus says, I want you to be light in dark places, he's calling us to go and declare truth against the lies that we're telling ourselves. He's calling us to go into, to walk alongside of other people who have been lying to themselves, who've been deceived by the darkness, who have believed the lies that culture has told them, that the world has told them, that maybe a coach or a parent or a loved one has told them. And they began to believe that lie. And Jesus says, I'm calling you to go and be light to them, to speak the truth to them, to share the good news with them, that they are created in God's image, that they are a unique masterpiece of a loving creator, that there is forgiveness for sin, that there is no sin that is outside of the stretch of mercy and grace that Jesus held out on the cross, that there's no one who's outside of God's grace and mercy. There's no one that God can't love, that God can't forgive, that God can't redeem. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to go and be light. Zechariah says, I understand what it feels like to wait in silence when God doesn't speak. But I also know that one is coming who sheds light to the lies, light to the darkness, and who will set the captives free. We're called to bring peace. Peace to a world that lives in chaos. All you have to do right now is turn on the news and you see riots in streets all over the world because people feel oppressed because they feel neglected, because they feel like the financial gap is growing. I think about Bolivia, where some of us spent last summer. There's not a lot of peace in that country right now as a president has been forced out of office. There's rioting in the streets. I think about the people I knew, the faces I saw, the kids I met what would it look like to bring peace to that place? And so we need to be praying for our missionaries in those places who are bringing peace. And I don't think peace means an end to the storm. I found this quote that I think defines peace well. 
Peace does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise or adversity. It means to be in the midst of those, but to feel calm in your heart. To be a place where people in the midst of adversity and chaos can come and hear words of truth that bring calm to their hearts, that help them know that in the silence of God not speaking, he will be faithful to his promise. You see, this is not what we do. If it depends on Jason, we're all in a lot of trouble. Depends on what Christ has done. It depends on the God who visits and who is faithful. So as we head in to this holiday season, time when there's not much silence, holiday parties, family gatherings, presents to buy, shopping to do, groceries to get, expectations to be met. Where will we find silence so that we can hear God speak? Who do we know who needs someone to walk up beside them and put an arm around their shoulder and say, listen, I want to be light. I want to speak truth into your life about a God who loves you because I care about you. Because God loves you, no matter what you've done. There's a lot of people waiting for God to speak, wondering if he ever will. And maybe, just maybe, God's calling you and me to go speak peace and truth and his words into their life. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Zechariah, for his story, for the things we see that are true in his life, for the ways we see you be faithful to Zechariah, to the Israelites, all throughout the pages of Scripture. God, you are faithful. God, give us faith to remember that in the silence. It's so hard when it's quiet, God. Give us strength and courage to remember that you are faithful all the time. And God, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see those around us who are hurting this holiday season, who are waiting for change to come, who are wondering if you're actually real or if you'll ever speak or ever show up. Give us eyes to see. Give us wisdom to know what to say. How to walk alongside of them. How to hold them up. How to encourage them. And God, help us to remember that we are redeemed by your blood. We pray all, we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.